Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Wow, that was good. I like that. We got uh, some of the some of the PowerPoint doing a little bit better. So I'm going to preach from down here so that I can I can make sure that we're moving through the slides. We couldn't get the one up there on the pulpit to work. No problem. We will overcome technical difficulties. My family and I are very thrilled to be here. We're excited about the opportunity. And we hope that we can uh, help in any way uh, that you need need us. Uh, we are here at your service. And uh, we are looking forward to being with you the next uh, three months. There we go. It's nice and dark now. Don't fall asleep. So, all right. <clears throat> and I thought I would start out with hopefully a very positive lesson. And that is the idea of helping us go to heaven. And I'm going to start out with top ten tips for going to heaven. This is the idea of uh, the top 10 lists. Who used to do that? David Letterman, I think, used to do that, right? The top 10 list. He did it all the time because it was popular. And uh, anytime I do a lesson and I start off and I tell you how many points there are, and you tell somebody, well, there are 10 points to this lesson, they're like, it better be short points, right? But at least you can count down the points because I'm going to start at number 10 and count, count down, and I promise you, we will do our best to move things uh, along. Uh, we all want to get to heaven, and we want to take as many people with us uh, as we can. I think as we do that, as we look at our lives, and I, I suspect that most people here are Christians, and each of us has struggles in our lives, things that we're struggling with, that we are challenged by in our daily walk with Christ. We're trying to get to heaven. We want to be faithful. We want to serve the Lord, but all sorts of things can work against us in that, can discourage us, can um, distract us and divert us off of the path. And so this morning, I just wanted to focus on 10 things that can help us uh, as we go forward in our Christian walk, as we're trying to walk in the light, as he is in the light. We want to be sure that we are on the path and that we have the greatest chance for success in getting to heaven, right? That's the goal. And so, uh, number 10, as we're counting down, is there are no shortcuts. Uh, you've probably heard the phrase, there are no shortcuts to any place worth going, right? If you try to take shortcuts, then you get cut short. Uh, and oftentimes, uh, if we take a shortcut... At least in my experience, it often turns into a long cut. Uh, it, <laughs> it causes all sorts of problems that you didn't anticipate. Uh, and I think that there are no shortcuts to the Christian life. There are no shortcuts to getting to heaven. There's no uh, magic bullet, if you will. And you say, you know, well, Paul actually denounces this idea that we don't take shortcuts through the gospel. We don't take shortcuts when we're teaching others the gospel. Uh, and there's no shortcuts to getting to heaven. There's no way to kind of be distracted and be off the path and still get there. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2. I had it turned, but I was in 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 2. It says, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by open statement of the truth, we would command ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. 
Sometimes the path can be hard. Sometimes you have to, to get dirty, right, as we're working through uh, difficult things. And when we do that, we just need to realize there's no shortcut for it. It takes time, it takes effort on our part. Sometimes there are going to be difficulties and painful situations that we're going to have to face. Being a Christian doesn't guarantee you a happy, easy, peaceful life. We face the same struggles as everyone, but the difference is we are better off because we have God on our side. We will always have Christ to turn to. And when we think about that, we think about Christ knows what we go through. Christ faced difficulties. You know, even I've had people tell me, well, the church turned on me. The church treated me badly. There were people in the church who just, they weren't doing the right thing. They were hypocrites or whatever. Well, Jesus will never turn on you. He will never be a hypocrite. People are flawed. All of us are. And we're going to have problems. We're going to not always interact in the best way. Sometimes we're going to make mistakes, right? But Jesus never did. He never sinned. He always treated people fairly. And even though that's the case, they still tortured and killed him. So if they're going to treat the Son of God that way, who never sinned, they're going to treat us poorly too. And we always have him to turn to, and he was tempted just like we are. He faced difficulties and pain and sickness and death, just like we do. We always have him, and we always have that knowledge of the grace of God through Jesus that we can reach into. It's, it's inside of us, and we're able to reach into that and tap that for strength no matter what faces us. The second tip that I'd like to cover is if it's not broke, uh, don't try to fix it. Except for the hair that that guy has, that could almost be a picture of me right there. Uh, have you ever tried to, you know, something's not quite right, so you're like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tamper with it and fix it. I have learned, uh, this is not in my notes, but I've learned this as a side, if, you know, I like to fix things around my house. Yesterday, I fixed a mailbox. It took one whole screw. I, I fixed it all by myself. But I have found that if it has anything to do with electricity or water, plumbing of any type, or both, especially both, uh, that it's better if I just leave that to somebody else, isn't it? It's not a real good idea for me to tamper with things. Oh, well, there's this little tiny leak. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess with that, and before long, it won't be a tiny leak anymore. It'll be a whole flood in my basement, right? And so the idea here is if it's not broke, don't try to fix it. Uh, this actually came surprisingly, from the government, this phrase. The origin of the, the history of if it ain't broke, don't fix it, uh, comes from the government, if you'll believe that. Usually the government is known for diving into something that's working pretty well and kind of messing it up, right? That's, uh, that's what they're known for. That's why this phrase, there was a congressman who said it. He said, you know, if you had an alarm clock, and it had been running for 20 years, and it was doing well. It got you up every morning on time, uh, and there was no indication that it was, you know, it wasn't going to do that tomorrow. Everything was working fine, still ticks. Um, would you take that whole thing apart and then try to put it back together just to make sure it's going to wake you up tomorrow? He says, "No, I wouldn't either. So if it ain't broke, let's not fix it." 
Uh, that was the original thing. Now, I have heard uh, people say that we need to change the church. We need to make the church more entertaining. We need to ch- make the church uh, shorter. We need to make it more convenient. Uh, we need to realize that you know it's not like millennials or, or the new generation are the first one to ever say that. Is that the church should be more accommodating to me, right? What we need to realize is that's not true. The church doesn't need to be more accommodating to any of us. The, the fact is that we need to accommodate the church. And the church doesn't need to change. The church is perfect. God created as such. But it is made up of imperfect people. And we have to work together to have the impact that we need to have. But it doesn't need to be more entertaining. It doesn't need to be changed to suit a new generation. And this generation is not the first to come up with this. There is nothing new under the sun, right? Ezekiel 13.9 said, My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and who give lying divinations. They shall not be in the council of my people, nor be enrolled in the register of the house of Israel, nor shall they enter the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord God. The idea here is there were some prophets who were just tickling the ears of the people. They were telling them what they wanted to hear. They were trying to make it more accommodating to the people. God gave me a message, but I'm not going to teach that message. I'm going to teach a more popular uh, idea. And God says, that's not what we need to do. We don't need to change my message. We need to execute the ideas that God puts forth. Uh, We do well to listen to the words of Jesus in Luke 6, 36. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did of false prophets. If everybody is saying, oh, well, yeah, that's fantastic, you're doing great, probably it's because we're just accommodating people instead of teaching them what they need to hear. 2 Timothy 4, 3, 4 says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Right? But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Myths. Couldn't say that quite right. So the idea here is that there are going to be people who are going to just turn to people that are tickling their ears, that are saying what they want to hear, but we are saying what they need to hear. We need to stay on the path. The church is not broken. The church does not need to be fixed. Number eight. We need to read the Bible. Carl, could you, you pass those, uh, those out for me? Um, Todd Clifford came up with this Bible reading plan, and it's the beginning of the year, so it's a good time uh, to use it. I'm going to pass, have Carl ask him before uh, the sermon to pass these out. Uh, this is a 30-day plan. Oftentimes, people will say, well, I'm going to read the whole Bible in a year. And they will get, you know, Genesis is pretty pretty easy going. There are a lot of good stories in Genesis, but you get, uh, well, okay, Exodus, pretty good, right? We've got the Ten Plagues, we've got the Ten Commandments. You get to Leviticus, Deuteronomy, it starts to become hard to stay in the habit of reading. And I'm not suggesting that we don't read through the whole Bible, but if you're struggling, there are many different ways to read the Bible and get into the scripture and make it a habit. One way that Todd came up with is this little 30-day plan. You spend 30 minutes a day, 
and you will read through the entire New Testament in a month. You can do that 12 times a year. Or you can take it a little bit slower, do 15 minutes a day, and you'll have it in two months. I've seen people, you know, uh, Proverbs. How many chapters are in Proverbs? 31. Okay, well, let's take a proverb, a chapter of Proverbs, every day, and let's read that every day for a year. Uh, And you'll have read through Proverbs 12 times. So what I'm saying is find ways to get into the Scriptures. Find a way to study and read the Word. Uh, And do it any way. You know, I've heard people, I I saw somebody criticizing somebody. They said they listened to the whole Bible in two and a half weeks on their uh, iPod. And people were criticizing them because they, they listened to it at two times speed and they, they basically rushed through it in two and a half weeks and listened to the whole thing. And they were criticizing them. They said, you really need to slow down and study the Bible. He says, well, I do also study the Bible and that kind of thing. But I wanted to kind of get the big, fast overview. That's fine. Read the Bible any way you want to read the Bible. Read little parts and study it. Read big parts and, and get the overview. Read it fast. Read it slow. But read it. Get into the Word, because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. If we're not spending any time in the Scriptures, then we're not going to grow in our faith. And it's going to be harder for us when we face difficulties uh, to get to heaven. And don't forget Hosea 4 and verse 6. It says, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. When we face difficult times uh, in the church or in our lives, If we're not grounded in the Word, and we don't seek strength and comfort there, it can be difficult to get through them. And we have to get through them. We have to stay in the church. We have to be in Christ. The number seven point goes along with that, and that is to memorize the Bible, memorize scriptures. You know, God has always wanted our hearts. Right, The Jews kind of missed this. Uh, a lot of times, they would, they were, we're going to keep the law, right? I'm going to build a hedge around the law even. We're going to not just keep the law, but we're going to keep the law about the law and make sure we keep the law. They were very focused on that obedience factor, that idea that you know, as long as I do all of these things, I'm going to get to heaven. But while the Lord wanted them to keep the law, He wanted more than that. He wanted their hearts. If God has our hearts, we will want to do the things that he wants us to do. If God has our hearts, then we will be able to overcome difficulties as they present themselves. Deuteronomy 11.18 says, Fix these words of mine in your hearts and mind. Proverbs 7, 2 and 3. Keep my commandments and live, and my law as the apple of thine eye. Bind them upon your fingers. Write them upon the table, the tablet of your heart. If what we're doing and thinking every day is godly in our heart, then it will come out of our our mouths. It will come out in our actions. If we've got God's word written in our hearts, we will be able to answer those who present difficulties to us. 2 Timothy 
Paul's words to Timothy, encouraging him, says, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. The idea here, it's not possible to be instant in season and out of season. It's not possible to be quick with the word if it's not written on our heart. And so let me encourage you to memorize scripture. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word is like a weapon. And I was thinking about this yesterday. If, if you have a gun for self-protection and it's in your house and someone breaks into your house, but that gun is in the gun safe, and it's not loaded, how good is that weapon to you? You have it, but it's not accessible. That person's not going to wait for you to go get your gun out of the safe and load it and, and be ready, right? I mean, that's, that's not going to be of any use to you. And the Word of God is like that. If we don't put it in our hearts, we don't have it readily accessible, it's of very little use to us. And so uh, I talked to this guy. There's, there's a preacher I know. Uh, named Michael Shepard. He is a great preacher, and he knows so much Scripture. It is amazing to me when he gets up and preaches. No notes. He usually doesn't even take his Bible up there because he doesn't need it. And he will use a 100 Scriptures in a lesson, and he will just rattle them all off. He knows them. It's amazing. And I saw one time this person came up to him and said, Wow, you are so good. You have so much of the Scripture memorized. I wish... I could be like that. You know what he said? He said, you can be like that. <laughs> you know, you think I, I snapped my fingers and had it memorized? No, I put work and effort into it. You can do that too. He says, here's my method. Here's what I do. He's like, of course, I preach. So whenever I'm preparing a lesson, I'll write down at least two scriptures that I want to have memorized. He said, I'll write them down on little note cards and I'll put them in my pocket. And everywhere I go, I have those note cards. And... If I'm at the store, I'm in line at the store, I'll pull it out and I'll say it. I'll put it away and try to say it. He says, I I just, that's how I've memorized scripture. And then over time, I have a whole bunch of these note cards. I review them every so often so I don't lose that in my memory. And before long, I had hundreds of scriptures memorized. I mean, that's a great method. It's not the only method. There are many methods to memorizing. But let me encourage you to try this year to memorize some scripture and have that ready when you need it. We need to also believe and obey the Bible. So when someone is a Christian, they're going to find as they walk in the light that there are going to be things in their life that are not in line with Christianity. Sometimes they didn't even know about these things and they discover them. We have to be willing to change when we find out things that we didn't know, we need to be willing to adapt and grow in the faith. We need to be willing to change our attitudes and the way that we treat others, the way that we react to things ourselves. Those things have to be done. We have to believe and obey the Bible. It's not a, a pick and choose kind of thing. James one twenty two tells us to be doers of the word and not just hearers only. 
Matthew 7.21 reminds us, that's the Sermon on the Mount, that not everyone who says to me, to Jesus, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father, which is in heaven. There are many who want to pick up the Bible. They approach the Bible with this idea that it's, it's truth and you've got to believe it, but you, know, you can kind of pick and choose. We need to take the attitude that somebody has to show us why the Bible is not right. Not this idea of, you don't approach the Bible with this skeptical attitude. Because the Bible proves itself over and over and over again. And so when you find something in there that conflicts with how you're living your life, you need to make a change, right? And that can be difficult to do. Once we believe it, we have to obey it. Number five, halfway through, right? You still with me? Everybody awake? All right. We need to pursue righteousness. Jesus hits on this in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is just the greatest sermon ever, ever recorded, preached. I just love that. You know, you can preach a hundred sermons off of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus covered it all in one. But in Matthew 6.21, he says, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves can't break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, we, we pursue a lot of things in our life. We have a lot of hobbies. We have a lot of work. Uh, and it can be easy to pursue those things. But we have to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? All those things will be added unto you. We want to store up treasures in heaven where they can't be taken away from us. You know, a few years ago, a tornado hit our office. I had a lot of stuff in my office. I had a lot of neat books. I had a lot of stuff that I really liked. And that tornado landed on there and destroyed all of it, (laughs) right? That stuff that I had, I mean, I really liked my stuff. But it can be gone in one night. Totally unexpected. And so we need to store up treasures in heaven and not put our faith in treasures on earth. Number four. We need to pray every day. Some people, when they're baptized, the the church will gather around them and give them advice. One common piece of advice is to let God speak to you every day, read His Word, and you speak to God every day. You pray. It can be hard for us to, to remember to do this, to get in the habit of doing this. A lot of times we put a lot of faith and trust in ourselves, right? until things go badly, and then we very quickly turn to God. Uh, It's fine to turn to God in prayer when things are are going bad, but we need to make it a habit of speaking to God, of sharing with Him. He knows, right? He knows us better than we know ourselves, but He wants us to talk to Him. He wants us to share with Him. He wants that relationship that goes along with having the heart for God. He's not looking for perfect people. Look at Luke chapter 18. <clears throat> Luke chapter 18 and verses, well, we'll just do 13 and 14. It says, And the publican, 
standing far off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for every one that exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. God's not looking for perfect people. He understands that we are a sinful people, and he provided a way out of that sin for us through Jesus. What he wants is for us to turn to him in prayer. Uh, Besides Jesus, who better to look to about prayer than Daniel, right? Daniel got thrown into the lion's den for praying. But in Daniel 9.18, he says, My God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. You know, God knows that we are imperfect. And he provided Jesus so that in Christ our prayers can be presented to him. We can come into the very presence of God. And it is a wonderful Wonderful thing. If you feel like people aren't listening to you and that no one understands, you can turn to God. God understands. Jesus was man and he endured all those things like unto us. 1 John five fourteen and 15. And this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. God answers prayer. It doesn't mean that if you like Ferraris and you ask for a Ferrari, God's going to give you a Ferrari. It doesn't mean that. It means if we ask things in accordance to his will, he's going to take care of us. He's going to help. Number three, let's make a commitment to evangelize. We need to get involved. We need to allow God to use us in all tasks and in all ways. We need to do our part in the church and do things where someone is counting on us. I found when I I came back to the church, the main thing I needed to do was find a job where people were counting on me to do something. Because if I knew people were counting on me to be there, when I got discouraged or I didn't feel like getting up out of bed that morning, I knew that they were counting on me to lead a prayer, to sing a song, to teach, whatever it is, to get the Lord's Supper ready, to run PowerPoint, whatever it is. Find something where people are counting on you and serve in the church, and you will find it easier to do the things that God needs us to do. Colossians 3, 23 and 24, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Our mission that all of us have is to evangelize. That's true in the world and it's true in our families and for the next generation. The church is a generational thing, isn't it? If we don't teach the next generation then the church will shrink. The church will die off. And so it's important to constantly keep that in mind in evangelism. 
1 Peter 3, 14-16, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you shall be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So there are many ways to evangelize. There are many ways to reach out to people. One is to show Christ in your life, to let people know that you have a hope that's in you. They'll see that in you. They'll see the difference in you. And they will look for the reason. They will ask you about what is the reason you are different than other people. And when they ask, we need to have an answer for that hope that's in us. It doesn't mean that you will always have an answer to every question everybody asks you. It means you will have an answer for the reason that you have happiness and hope in Christ, no matter what else you're facing in the world. Because we have victory in Christ. Number two is that we need to seek edification. We need to build up Christians, other people around us, and we need to seek that from other people. And that's very true in any kind of relationship that you have. Certainly with your spouse, whoever you marry, whoever your mate is going to be, but also in your friendships daily. If your mate and all of your friends are non-Christians, it will be difficult for you to hold the line because you're going to be presented with problems that come in conflict with what they want to do. They don't have the same mindset as you, right? 1 Corinthians 15.33 talks about this, bad company corrupts or ruins good morals, right? If we're spending all this time with non-Christians, it's hard for us to be edified. It's hard for us to hold the line. We want to be with people who want to do Christian activities. Be with people who will not compromise their beliefs. It doesn't guarantee you will have success in your marriage or in your friendships. Nothing does that. There's no absolute guarantee that you're going to have success in everything that you do. But if you will seek out good, close Christian friends that can help edify you, build you up, and strengthen you when you're low. It will serve you in so many ways. That spirituality aspect should be the number one thing you look for in your close relationships. We look at 2 Corinthians 6, 14. It says, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord has Christ with Baal? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? It's talking about a business relationship in that context. But it's true really in all relationships. If we unequally yoke with somebody and we're tied to somebody who does not share our values, it will be hard to hold the line. So seek out friends and family that will help you along the way. And the number one tip for getting to heaven is to flee from sin and cling to God. 
James 4, 7 through 8 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Right? We can't be double-minded. No one can serve two masters, right? Jesus talks about that in the Sermon on the Mount too. You can't serve both man and money. You can't have two masters. You can't be going after two things. You'll either hate one and love the other, or you will despise one and be devoted to the other. 2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. That short verse covers at least three, maybe four, of the things that I mentioned in the top tips. This idea that we're fleeing youthful passions and we're pursuing righteousness. We're, We're pursuing faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord. We're getting edification from our friends, our family, in the faith. We want to use our brothers and and sisters in Christ to help. James 5.16 says, Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, right? This idea of iron sharpening iron, of building each other up, confessing our faults and having accountability and helping each other to heaven. We want to get to heaven. We want to get as many people to heaven as we can. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, remember this, that no temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a means or a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. He's not going to allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear. He will always provide a way out for us. And Hebrews 4.15, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. I've mentioned this and touched on it a couple of times today, but Jesus will help, and Jesus understands. He was able to endure more than any of us will likely ever face. And he did so sinlessly. But he understands the temptation. He understands the frailties of our human form. And he came from glory and sacrificed himself willingly to the will of the Father for us to be saved. So we can turn to Jesus and we can know that he will help us and that he understands. God understands. God loves us. And so we want to flee from sin and from Satan who just wants our destruction. And we want to cling to God. And that's really the summary of this whole idea. We want to have a heart for God. We want to go to heaven. We want to take others with us there. And we want help along the way, and we want to help others along the way. And no matter what, we know that Jesus is there for us. As long as we are in Christ, He is there for us. And He will confess us before his Father in heaven. 
this morning, are you in Christ? Have you been baptized into his death, burial, and resurrection? Come up a new creature, as Romans 6, 1 through 6 talks about. Have you done those things, but you've let sin come back into your life? You've lost the zeal, the desire that you once had, uh, and, and you've not followed in the light. You want to rededicate yourself to that, turn away from sin. Then, If that's the case, you can come forward and confess, repent, and we'll pray with you and for you for forgiveness of that. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, we will be here for you to encourage you and to help you along the way. We also know what it's like to be sinful. We also know what it's like to be saved. And so we will help you on your path to heaven. Let's all go to heaven, and let's all go to heaven together. If anything in your life this morning is causing you to be separated from God, then we would encourage you to come and make that known uh, as, as Carl leads us in the invitation song. <clears throat>